listening to Unfiltered with Muhammad Uncut, a podcast about personal growth and authentic leadership. If you're looking for tips on how to manage others, get ahead, and make your way up the corporate ladder, this is not the show for you. This podcast is about being of service to others, leading from the heart, and evolving into a better version of yourself. Each episode brings you motivated stories about unfiltered leadership and authentic leaders, those who involve others, use their influence to amplify diverse perspectives, and inspire teams to achieve collective results. If this sounds like you, keep listening. Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast. Unfiltered is the podcast for leaders who involve others, use their influence to help them rise and inspire them to become better versions of themselves. The Unfiltered Podcast showcases leaders who lead from the heart to make a positive change. And today, we have such an unfiltered leader. We have someone who leads from the heart, somebody who's a father, who's a husband, somebody who cares about the people that he works and, and serves because he knows what it feels like. He understands his audience. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast. And our guest today and our friend is no other than David Hill. Welcome, David Hill. Absolutely thrilled to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you for accepting to be on this podcast where we really showcase people who lead from the heart, who want to make a positive difference in, in their homes, in their communities, in their workplaces. And, you know, you and I have had the opportunity to chat already. So I know you're such a person and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So all my listeners probably want to know who's David Hill. So I'm going to give them a better background. So David Hill previously worked as, uh, can I call you Dave? You can call me Dave and David. There I, you I, go. Get I get, I get all both. Right. All right. So David has worked previously as a VP of sourcing for a company out of China. And for the last six years, he found himself traveling between Canada and China. And that sort of lifestyle, as we're going to hear shortly, takes its toll on, on you. So David decided to start his own business. And he works with people he understands because David is a millennial. And David is working to inspire others like him to help them understand how they can be contributors in our communities, right? And so we, we understand that the, the, there are nuances for somebody who's in my age range, you know, 25 plus, and somebody who's a millennial. And uh, people from different generations have different needs, and we have to be respectful and cognizant of those needs. And David, tell us how you do that on a daily basis. Oh man, yeah, great introduction by the way. <laughs> that was that made me feel very good. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, for me, um, you know, kind of just highlighting some of the things that I did before. I yeah, I was traveling in China for the last six years, half of the year, every single year. Um, I was either in a metal tube or in China working, developing and commercializing footwear. Uh, you know, our company worked with Brooks, K Swiss. Um, ultra running is another big uh, project of ours that have been very, very successful. And, you know, it kind of took a toll on me after six years and um, it, it really hurt my relationship in my marriage. Um, I didn't, I wasn't really connecting in, in the way that I needed to be. I wasn't there, uh, you know, mentally, maybe physically, but you know, that doesn't count. And so I went to counseling therapy um, to, to just really work through the issues that I was going through and, nothing was really working and I was really dealing with the, uh, the level of anxiety and the, uh, the, you know, stress that comes with the responsibilities of being a, a, an executive, especially a millennial executive, as you try to, you know, make a, make a name for yourself in the, in the work world. But yeah, so, uh, you know, finally worked with a, a mentor who really helped me learn the practical skills to uh, overcome anxiety and stress and, and really give me a new perspective really helped me do a lot of shifting with my mindset as well. And yeah, and, and I decided to uh, really, you know, transition away from that, you know, even though I was able to handle that, I knew that I wanted to do something more than that, um, really looked within my, you know, what I thought my purpose was to be. And I, I knew that I wanted to make an impact in some shape or form, not very definitive at that point, but, you know, it, it kind of, I knew that I could help other millennial executives because I've, I've, I was, I was one for the last six years. Yeah. I know 
how tiring it is. I know the burnout. I know the anxiety. If you're in a marriage, how jeopardizing it can be. And, and so that it really started there. And um, doing a little bit more research into it, you know, what's the reason? Why, why are we so anxious and have so much stress related to uh, the amount of work that we're doing? Um, obviously, there's, uh, it's relative to the amount of responsibilities, but also just how businesses are run nowadays in terms of the philosophies and the values and the beliefs that are, um, you know, are, are the, you know, quote unquote foundations of a successful business that has really impacted everybody in a negative way, especially millennial executives. And so, you know, my goal now is to really uh, teach real leadership, what real leadership looks like. And um, I think that a lot of what we've been practicing is outdated and we really need to flip the script on that and really pivot. And we're at a great point in, in our lifetime, you know, with COVID, it's really exposed that. And a lot of businesses that might have, you know, have leaders in it, they're really not navigating the rough waters well. And a lot of the times, you know, leadership is shown when, you know, your ship is going through rough waters, not when they're calm. And so it's really exposed that there needs to be a shift in how we, how we lead and how we approach leadership. Powerful. I, powerful. At, at each moment you were speaking, I, I was picking up on the cues of, of things that really resonate with me and I'm sure will resonate with people listening to this. You know, you, you talk about purpose and you talk about the definition of leadership. These are all things we're going to get to. But, but, you know, you started off with vulnerability and people have said to me, why do you want to do podcasts? And I, it's because I, I want to show people that it's okay to feel this way. You know, I, we've all gone through difficulties and sometimes we put on that facade or we're dealing with the imposter syndrome. We, we go to work and we try to carve out our, our, our home selves, you know, our personal life. And we try to keep that uh, sterilized from our, our, our work life. And, you know, it's good to have boundaries but where those boundaries shut us out from the reality of being able to cope and being able to heal, this is where we start compartmentalizing our different personas and we aren't really you know, the, the authentic leaders or the authentic coworkers that people are craving, especially today, right? And you know, when, when you talk about the need to, to be there for your family, right? It, it's, if we don't understand that, the people that we work with are humans and they have needs and they have desires and, and, and they have constraints and they have limitations. We're not going to be able to have that awareness of them to the point where we can serve them and, and be useful to them. And it comes down to this emotional intelligence of knowing ourselves so that we can know others and build those great relationships. So David, from the get-go, your vulnerability, your, your desire to open up and share your personal struggles and how you've dealt with that I'm so excited about some of the things we're going to talk about. So I, I, I can say to you, you shut me right down. I don't know where to start because you've given me so much to, to, uh, to register up here. But I'm going to say to you, let's start off with saying, what is your definition of leadership? Yeah, so, so yeah. My, def yeah, my definition of leadership, uh, for me, you know, it's, it's not a rank. It's not a position or a place of authority. For me, leadership is really a lifestyle. It's really living out, you know, using your strengths and your advantages to lift others around you. You know, it's to help people build their confidence in what they do, help people love what they do, um, help people navigate the failure through the support and the tough love, you know, this way that, you know, leaders can help people find their inspiration so they also feel that fulfillment with what they do. And then that, with that in mind, everybody advances that cause together that benefits not just people but the organization organization in the world and so i think that leadership is is a practice it's it's not it's not an official title it's just a practice and that's incredible because you, you've you taught me that leadership is really that ripple effect right you, it really resonates from one person to the next and it's ripple and how you behave how you practice leadership right uh good leadership or or defective leadership can really impact others, as you were talking about earlier. So it's about the impact that we can have on, on others, but it's also impacting us and our lifestyle, right? And so you talk about leadership being a practice. It, it, it's, it's a verb, it's, a, it's an action, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of us are looking for those titles and, and the, uh, you know, the, the titles to put on our doors, to the entrances of our offices or, or you know, on our shirts, right? And leadership really isn't a, 
it's not it's not a title. It, it's not anything that someone bequeaths upon us, right? It's it's really a behavior. It's a mindset, right? Mm -hmm. So can you explain to me? You define yourself as someone who works primarily with with um, millennials. What sort of mindset do you feel you need to nurture to be able to serve your clientele? I think the first thing that uh, that always needs to be uh, you know understood is is their perspective, and I think that a lot of a lot of leadership, you know, the three things that the three words that always come to my mind with leadership is empathy, perspective, and vulnerability. You already touched on that in the beginning. And so what I say, um, you know, a very, a phrase that I like to use is vulnerability to others, empathy for others. And so you always have to come from a place of understanding. And so when you look at the millennial generation, you have to look at the factors that they grew up with, uh, even the parenting, uh, the technology that they grew up with, and, and just the overall environment that, you know, that they've been kind of thrown into. Um, you know, AKA the corporate workspace. And so when you look at the millennial generation, you know, through research, it's, it's really been shown that millennials have gone through what's called, you know, quote unquote, failed parenting. Um, you know, these are the type of parents that have really just overmanaged their kids and overprotected their kids that, you know, the parents are the ones that spoke to the teachers if they got helicoptered. <laughs> Heli yeah. Exactly. Yes. Helicopter parenting. And so, you know, the product of that is, you know, the self-image that we are so special, that we are just the, the you know, the, the sliced bread, like the, the greatest thing to ever have walked this planet. And then uh, getting, that will get into the, the corporate workspace in a little bit. But this mindset that we're just the most amazing thing is, is one, it, that's going to not translate well to other aspects of life. And so the other aspect of that too, you have to look at technology. And so for me, Facebook came out, or I guess MySpace was the first thing that came out. And then what happened to them? But yeah, it came out when I was, it was early high school for me. So I was, uh, you know, 15 or 16 when that started to become a thing. And so we grew up with social media and that was kind of our way of learning a, a new type of connection that, we, we don't, in hindsight, we didn't really understand that it's not really connecting, but that's what, that's how we started to really lean towards connecting with people. And so one of the, one of the, uh, they've done research where, you know, a lot of people go on social media because of the chemical reactions that are produced in your body, endorphins and that are released from the likes, from the comments, everything else, you get these feel good hits every time you go on social media. And so it's the same type of reaction that you get from gambling from uh, smoking and also from drinking as well. And so they have age limits for those things, not social media. And so we don't know how to handle social media very well. We don't know how to cope. And so sometimes, you know, you have people who turn to the bottle. That's a problem in itself. But then now we are turning to social media. We're coping through social media and not actually connecting with the people that we need to connect with. And so we don't, we don't know how to connect with people. You know, a lot of the times our generation, we don't like getting on phone calls we like texting people you know the whole concept of texting ghosting that's a that's a normal thing for us and so technology has really has really worked against us in a way that we don't know how to connect with people and that's one of the only ways to really produce that feel good and and really uh draw out the good in us and so you're you know you have the parents who have the quote-unquote failed parenting and then you have the technology that kind of works against us and then with that self-image and that you know, uh, impatience in mind, you're getting thrown into the corporate workspace, which doesn't even care about people for the most part. It's all about maximizing shareholder wealth, either by focusing on profits, focusing on growth at the expense of people to make sure that the shareholders are happy. That's like focusing, that's like a, a coach focusing on the fans and not on the team. And so you have wow. a lot, you have a lot of you know, disconnect and conflict between millennials and corporate workspace and, and you know, in, in business philosophy nowadays. And so, you know, we're at a pivotal point now that COVID has really highlighted that, that there's a lot of disconnect there. And so there needs to be a shift in how we approach leadership. And so, and I, I think that for millennials, you have to understand where they're coming from. And so that way we can know how to address that through proper leadership and real leadership. And you talk about empathy and the need to, to understand. And I guess my question to you is, 
how do you bridge a generational gap in the workplace? Yeah, I think that bridging generational gap starts with understanding first, kind of like what I talked about and just, and just knowing, because I think that the best way to bridge anything is, is with empathy and listening. And so whether it's empathetic listening or uh, uh, just always choosing to, to understand I think that's the one of the most effective ways to to bridge any gap, whether it's generation or different beliefs, different values. It's just choosing to understand. You know, it's it's like the saying: it's don't listen to be heard, but listen to be understood. Um, and and so that's the most important thing. And I think it starts with that to really bridge that gap. And I th- and then and then from that from there, then you can start to create a uh, you know a safe place for discussion. Um, and I think a lot of the times that. I think one of the, the things that we're not very good at as human beings is conflict resolution. And so there are going to be conflicting things. And so when you have, you know, maybe generation uh, baby boomers versus millennials, they're not going to see eye to eye on things. And so you're, if you're not listening, you're not choosing to understand, then there's no way that there's going to be any type of generational bridging. Um, but once you are choosing to understand, then you can start to create a, you know, a safe place for discussions on how to maybe, uh, you know, take their advantages and take our advantages and, and try to mesh it all together and build a really strong team because of that, you know, don't look at the weaknesses. What are the strengths of one generation and one generation and try to mesh it together and see what you can come from it. Create a solution rather than creating a conflict. And similar to what Stephen Covey says, seek to be understand, seek to, to understand then to be understood, right? And so by looking at how we can empathize with others and learn to understand their needs and even use their differences as an opportunity to grow. And, and so, yes, I agree with you that we definitely need to look at our, our differences, uh, but it's those differences that can make us stronger as well. And it's those differences that can help us identify where our weaknesses are and where we need to work together because your, your strength may complement my weakness. And now we've looked in, a, in, a, in an organization where Perhaps you have a millennial who is more adept to technology or you have uh, somebody who's a little um, more in their years, maybe not as adept to technology. This is where you can introduce mentoring and coaching, right? You perhaps have somebody who's older and maybe been with the organization a little longer, but they can bring the, the breadth of, of, of history that that organization has, has developed and you know, instill that in the millennial or, or the person who's a little more novice to the organization. So it's really building those bridges. And, and I think that's how we, we bridge the differences so that we can come together and create commonalities. And I think that, you know, to touch on that as well, you, you mentioned a really good point is that, you know, I, I've heard that there's a saying is that, you know, if we're good at everything, then we don't have a need for each other. If we're good at everything that we do, then we don't have a need for each other. But that's not the that's not the reality. You know, as human beings, we have our strengths, but we also have our weaknesses. That's just a that's just being part of being human. And so you have to bring that reality into building teams. Is that there are going to be strengths within a generation and also weaknesses, but then also other generations have their own strengths and weaknesses too. It's all about meshing, uh, but it starts with having a safe place to really be able to do that. Right. Um, so the idea of meshing, you know, is, is that unique just for people from different generations or when you're working with your clients, do you recognize that people of the same generation can actually benefit from that as well? Absolutely. And that, that kind of goes into diversity, right? And I think that diversity isn't necessarily a physical trait, like the way you look or where you've come from. It's more about ideas, you know, the, the diversity of ideas, because if you have a team of two similar minded people, you're not, you might not think of a a more innovative or creative way to craft a solution to solve a problem. And I think diversity is really important, even within uh, a specific generation like millennials, everyone has different ideas. Everyone has different beliefs and values that it, it, it comes down to just being able to just be vulnerable and throw those ideas out there and not feel like you're being judged or feeling, you know, uh, you know, hiding mistakes or anything like that. So, I think that within a generation, there is also diverse in the sense of ideas and different uh, perspectives on maybe uh, finding a solution that you wouldn't have figured out yourself for the, you know, for your entire life that somebody else might just come in and be like, Hey, have you thought about it this way? And boom, you just innovated and you progressed in your organization. So David, help me out a bit. Your, your primary audience is millennials. And when you 
going to a workplace and now you you know you've started your relationship building with the millennials and you're trying to shift that mindset so that you can help them expand and grow in the organization how do you extend that shift to the other generations i think that it's you can never you can never force someone to change their mindset you can't you can only inspire someone to to follow uh, in, in your mind, you know, in your footsteps uh, in terms of the mindset and the beliefs. And I think that the, the only way that you have, you, you start to gain those quote unquote followers is the results, right? And so the only thing that you can do is just do your best and really implement what you truly believe in. And then the results will speak for themselves. And then over time, um, you, you'll, you'll start to gain more followers as well. And there's actually this really interesting uh, principle. It's actually, it's called the uh, law of diffusion of innovation. And it's this, uh, this theory It's actually Simon Sinek talks about it a lot. And it, it's, if you think of a bell curve, it's divided into sections where the first two and a half percent of the uh, population, they're called innovators or, you know, trendsetters. They're the people that are just like, I'm going to go buy an iPhone for $2,000. I don't care. I'm just going to do it because I am an innovator. So that's two and a half percent. Think, you know, Elon Musk, uh, Steve Jobs, these guys. Then the next 12 and a half percent, the 13% is the, uh, uh, is the early adopters. Early adopters. And, and, these are, and these are the people that are like, okay, like that sounds pretty cool. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And they're a lot more open to that. Um, and so these are the people that start to really follow the innovators. And so um, he also, you know, Simon talks about how in order to really achieve market success, you really need to hit uh, the tipping point is 15 to 18 percent of the population before it starts to really trickle to the rest of the people. And the rest of the people, these are like the rational, very cynical people. It's like, why do I need to change? What's in it for me? You know, am I going to be paid to do this? These are the people that are just you don't you ignore them. You don't you don't try to convince them that this is the best thing to do. You don't try to manipulate them to try to believe something. You really focus on the people who are very eager to, to learn about something, who are very open to the ideas. So you focus on these innovators and these, uh, these early adopters as well. And a lot of the times, uh, I think companies, they, they try to approach uh, a transformation, a cultural transformation as like a marketing campaign. They try to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this program. We're going to launch it on this date, and we're going to force everybody to go to this seminar or workshop, and they're going to listen, and they're going to implement it. It's going to be awesome. Not. And it never works. Exactly. And so a lot of the times, you have to, you have to, you have to draw out these, uh, these uh, innovators and these early adopters within a company through through voluntary work be like hey you they know, become your ambassadors right exactly and it, and, it, and it goes with your mission it's like this is what we're trying to do we are trying to create a millennial program training program who's in you know this is what we're trying to do this is what's not working right now this is where we can get to who's in and the people who are innovators and you know uh, early uh, uh tr you know adopters they'll raise their hand be like count me in I'm, I'm totally down this sounds amazing and then over time you start to really work with these people who, who actually want to make a difference. And hopefully you get to the point where it trickles into that, to that mass market interest where that 15 to 18% is that tipping point. And then everyone else is like, Oh, okay. I guess this, okay. You know what? Fine. Count us in. And so it, you can't, you can't just really eight, you know, take a shotgun approach. You have to really focus on the people who are willing to adopt your beliefs, who are willing to be open. And then, over time, it will just organically happen. And that's how change happens. So let me ask you, I want to make sure I've understood you correctly. Are you saying that the innovators and the early adopters tend to be within a certain demographic uh, uh, or generational uh, demographic? Not necessarily. I think that it's, it's more of just, uh, you know, what they believe in and, and, and just their personality and an attitude overall. I think that um, it's, not, it's not separated by generation because there are yeah. other people that, you know, for example, uh, it can be not millennial who paid $2,000 for an iPhone because they wanted it. So that they would be tech. <laughs> so it's not, it's not generation. It's, it's just the attitude of that person. And, and that's why there's a bell curve for many, many things because everybody's different. It's not, it's not filtered through generation or anything. It's just the human nature. And so, so the takeaway here is not that we want necessarily everybody to jump on the ship with us because we're not going to get that in the end. Is, is, is that what I'm hearing? 
Yeah, you, you, you work with the people who want change. And over time, that will just slowly start to trickle throughout your organization. And that's the thing, you know, you look at something called, you know, like trust. Um, a lot of the times, you don't know when it, you know, you don't know when you are going to trust me, you know, you, you know, that it's going to take longer than a week, but probably no more than seven years. You don't know when that's going to happen. Cause that's just an, um, that's exactly, sometimes it's a snap and that's exactly what happens in organizations too. You just provide the foundations of change. You really focus on the people who want that change. And over time that will orga organically trickle through the organization. And then cultural. So if I'm an employer, give me some tips that I would have to put in place to create that environment where I can attract the innovators and the early adopters. And what do I do with, those who are going to um, reject my change altogether. Give me my solution. What would you recommend? So a lot of the times um, you have to make it difficult to, to, for change. You know, you have to make, cause it's so easy nowadays to be like, oh, sign up for, uh, you know, a subscription, boom, it's a click. Or it's like, oh, you know, opt in for this or swipe right for a date. It's so easy. You have to make it difficult. So it's almost like an application process for people who actually want to do it. So for example, if you're setting up a work, workshop or a seminar, make it on a Saturday. Nobody, nobody's going to want to come in on a Saturday, but the people who actually want to make a difference, they will come on on a Saturday, make it non-paid. People who want to be paid to be there, you're, you're going to be trying to pull teeth, trying to work with them to make a change. People who actually want to be there, they won't care if they're going to get paid. They don't care that it's a Saturday. And also they will fill out that application to want to go to that as well. And so part of the benefit of filling out an application too, is that you can see from their responses who's genuine and who's not, and who actually wants to make a difference as well. And so it's, it comes from the principle of making it more difficult than easy, because if it's easy, then everybody would do it. Right. If it was hard, then those people that actually want to make a difference would go out of their way to want to become a part of that transformation. Making it difficult, you're sifting through the people that really want to be on board with you to actually help you implement those changes, right? As opposed to, you know what? Yeah, that sounds okay, but what's in it for me, right? And so sometimes exactly. I think, you know, jumping in, you know, diving in sometimes has first. I know we want to know what's, what's there, but if I trust you, Nisi Muhammad, come with me, you know, I'm willing to jump in with you because I, I've got that level of trust and I know that maybe there isn't a, a direct incentive for me, right? But I know long-term that I'm helping, that I'm becoming part of the change that I want to see in the organization, right? Exactly. I, okay, now I'm still a little bit confused. So <laughs> what happens up to those, you know, going back to the model that you described earlier, um, can you just, for the benefit of our listeners, I... The, the model is called the, uh, so when we're talking about the early adopters. Oh, the, uh, the, the law of diffusion of innovation. So it's, it's, uh, it's a kind of a tricky name. So the law of diffusion of innovation. So diffusion okay. just means spread out and the innovation is the who wants to innovate and who just wants, is happy with, uh, with the flip phone. And inevitably you've got the people on this side that just don't want to go anywhere. So if I'm an employer, what do I do? What do I, I think, do with these people? Well, they, a lot of the times, you know, part of the whole process is getting people to believe in the mission and being part of that mission. Sometimes it or organically sips those people out, people who maybe are there for the wrong reasons. And you'll start to notice in the performance and, 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 and their overall attitude as well. And I think that's just part of some people are just like that. But again, it's a very low percentage of those people. And so, but the, the, the key thing is that, you will, as strongly as you might magnet, you know, magnetically repel those people, you will strongly attract people who want to be a part of your mission as well. So the companies that really make that transformation, they might repel some people and that's just part of it, but you'll also attract a lot of people who are who just like, I, I truly believe in this. This is exactly what I believe in. I want to be a part of your team. And then you, you replace the people who might be repelled by your mission by people who just absolutely are on board. And then that way, everyone moves forward and progresses together. Well, it goes back to what you're saying about meshing. If our values don't mesh, right, then it's going to be hard for me to be on board with your vision. It's going to be hard for me to, to embrace your mission and to really live out and align myself with, with, with that mission vision or to live out the values, right? So if it doesn't mesh, 
then as an individual, I've got a decision to make. Is this the company I want to work for, right? As an employer, I have to look and say, is this the kind of employee that I want? I guess if somebody's getting their job done, yeah, you know, meh, right? Like that, that's, if that's what, you know, if that's what I expect and they're getting their work done, then they're getting their work done. But if I want that person to be my, my spokesperson, if I want them to be the ambassadors, they're, they're not going to be the persons on the front line that are going out there and evangelizing our vision and mission to everybody, right? That we're going to have to make sure that the people who are actually uh, becoming our champions and our cheerleaders on the side, right? They, they understand that they're in this for, for the team. They're in this for, for the company. They're in this for the community, right? They're in it 100% and they're in it for everybody. It's not just in it for yourself, right? It goes right. back to the, the definition of servant leadership. You're not mm -hmm. in this just for yourself and your role and what I can get out of it and give me that title so that I can put it on, you know, frame it on my wall. We're in this because we're in this together. And it brings exactly. us back to this notion of unfiltered leadership, right? It's, it's, it's turning the, the, the triangle upside down. A lot of the time we see that you've got your, your individual contributors at the bottom, right? You've got your managers and supervisors, your directors, you've got your executives and you've got your CEOs, right? Tend to be white Anglo-Saxon, uh, you know, men dominant, in, you know, in, in, in their personalities. And, you know, I, I'm making generalizations here, but when we look at leadership in North America and in, in, in a lot of environments, it tends to be dominated by a certain, you know, breed of, of, of leader, and when you talked earlier about diversity and inclusion, and when we look around what's happening with us right now and, 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 and the, the rise in the Black Lives Movement and the reason that we're, we're amplifying these voices is because we're finally saying, look, the earth is resetting because of COVID, but we have a different sort of reset. And since the early 60s, we haven't seen this momentum, this, this movement. And that's before your time and even my time, right? You know, sure. we haven't seen that level of of, of that amplification of voices that have been silenced. And so when we look at our workplaces, it's not enough, as you were saying earlier about diversity, it's not just in the color of my skin or my language or my creed or my gender. It, it has to do with my diversity of, of mindset as well. And when I look at the table, it's not for me as a white, you know, middle-aged white man to open the door for others. I have to recognize that if I don't embrace diversity, because diversity is a fact, but I have to practice leadership and I have to be, I have to involve others. I have to be intentional about practicing inclusion. And I think, you know, when we talk about leadership today and, and what, uh, you know, millennials or, or baby boomers or Gen, Gen, Gen Zers, we're craving the shift. And I think coming out of COVID, if, if we, Want to go back to some old normal, comfortable normal? I don't think that's an option. It's a non-negotiable. And if we're right. thinking of building off some sort of, you know, old normal to get to a new normal, I don't want that either. You know, yeah. I want a brand new definition. And we have the opportunity to write a new definition of inclusion. And when it comes to, deal, to leadership, we have to have a new definition of leader. That doesn't mean exclude. It's, I'm not talking about excluding, you know, the typical white dominant white male, right? I'm saying we need to include. And that mm -hmm. means that now we have to look around us, you know, and that's why I think some of, you know, I think it's reactionary, but some of the, the, the leaders and really uh, high, uh, uh, you know, in some, in some of the, uh, the organizations, you know, without mentioning any names right now, they stepped down to make room for leaders who were black, for example, right? Because they recognize, wait a minute, we're not reflecting our client, we're not reflecting our audience, we're not reflecting society. So I wanna come back to you and you mentioned earlier about social media, because you know, social media is what is allowing us to amplify these voices and, and, and to infer and, and, and insist that we need to be more inclusive. But you touched upon social media as being something that could, uh, be equally dangerous, right? It, it, it's, it's, you know, whereas we may have a medicine to wean us off uh, other addictions, how can we deal with social media? What are some positive things that you, you know, you believe social media can, can bring to, to the practice of leadership? I think that 
you know, for me, my definition of social media, uh, the way that I use it, I call it business media. And the, 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 beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about, you know, social media, business media, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's the modern day cold calling uh, in terms of really getting yourself out there and really connecting with anybody. You know, you don't have to pick up a phone and, 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 and call them. And, you know, there's a, such a negative stigma with uh, cold calling. But if you think about it, you, you know, me connecting with you, reaching out to you, that was the modern day cold calling and, uh, and, and being able to really connect through there. And so I think the advantage of, of, of social media is just having that, that possibility of connecting with people that, that really want to make change as well. And I think uh, it's, it's, an, it's easier than ever before um, to, to you know, showcase you as well, to put content out there, to, uh, to really draw in the people. Kind of like what I talked about before, you will also repel people, but you will also attract people to your beliefs and your values. And then because of that, you'll form this really amazing community to, for, for change. You know, Black Lives Matter is an amazing example of that, that it's really attracted all these people in, for this cause to really advance this cause together because we're in this together. It's not about the physical traits. It's, uh, it's just about how we need to treat each other as human beings. We all believe on a deep down level that, yeah, all men are created equal and they should be, but not everybody believes in that. So we repel those people, but we draw in everybody else that created this movement that is so powerful because we truly believe in that. And that's why it's really making this change. And so social media is amazing for that. It, it just it's, it allows you to find the people that you can attract and then just amplify your message and really build this cause to, 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 to draw even more people in and, and to make change. And so it can be social media can be used for amazing things, but I think that we can also use it for, uh, very hurtful things to ourselves, you know, uh, comparing ourselves to other people, uh, you know, follow, you know, following the likes and following the comments, stuff like that. And so being able to really, uh, you know, uh, control the way that you, you interact on social media and, and know what the purpose of social media can be and, and the advantages of that, uh, know, knowing how to uh, utilize those advantages. I think, I think it's, it's kind of like money, right? There's the bad things and then there's the very good things as well. There's, it's a double-edged sword. So you just need to know what the advantages are and just focus on that for a cause. If you have a cause, it's a great way to get your message out there and to attract people to make a, to make a significant change. Well, you know, you're right. The, sometimes that shift is in our mindset and in our language. So just like we can shift from using uh, paper money to plastic money and now virtual money and blockchain and whatever. And don't get me talking about blockchain. I don't know much about that. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but you know, it's the same thing by maybe shifting to say that it's business media, you know, and, and it's an opportunity for us to put ourselves out there, create contact, make those connections, uh, you know, rather than maybe just send somebody a, an invite and say, Hey Dave, please be part of my network, but it's actually pick up the phone or, or record a voice message and make that human connection because we're, we're really closing the distances. You know, our platforms like LinkedIn, for example, it's not just the glorified uh, virtual resume anymore. It, it, it's a place where we're creating a community of like-minded people and like-minded people with different uh, opinions and, and, and different mindsets. But we have a vision of creating a community where we can share we can be vulnerable, we can, uh, we can risk making a mistake, and it's growing. And you know, what, what I'm seeing, particularly on, on, on these social platforms, you know, when, when you can you know, push through and get beyond the, the influencer and you know, the, the, you know, the social media that's just there for the likes and the followers and the growth and, and you know, monetizing your YouTube, hey, if it works, that's great. You know, we all want to make a buck. But, you know, I, I think there's value in, in breaking through and connecting and creating a relationships um, and then learning from those people. You know, I, I try. I'm not going to say I, I'm 100% disciplined, but whenever I've made a connection, I try to at least follow up with, with a, a personal note and say thank you. And I'm looking forward to learning from our shared networks and, you know, uh, to humble myself in that whoever that person is that I've connected with, I can learn from them. Because in the same thing that you're talking about in your line of work you are bringing different people, different mindsets to help them mesh together and learn about what we can collectively bring, 
you know, to, to this common ground, even though our differences are there, they can make us stronger. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Let me ask you, um, what's your favorite book or what's a good book <laughs> that you've read lately? We've talked oh, about man. really, really strong topics here, like the Black Lives Matter and, and, and yeah. this is right. <laughs> I, I'd love to know more about you and maybe what, what's a good book you've, re- that you've read recently. Oh man, uh, one of my favorite books, um, I talked about Simon Sinek before and he's a huge influence in, in the way that I've, that I've changed my, you know, just even my own mindset and how I believe in leadership as well. So Leaders Eat Last, fantastic yeah. book. Um, I also love Brene Brown, very similar in, in terms of, you know, uh, the yes, there you go. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so that's, one of it's a great book uh i love where he got the title of that book too i don't know if you heard the story but basically sure yeah so so the title of the book he he says that it actually comes from the military and how uh the uh uh, the officers of the military you know high-ranking officers they actually eat last because they have to take care of their the people that are in their charge you know so that's where the whole title of the book came from is that leaders eat last because they're taking care of their people that's, that's the philosophy behind that as well. So it's, it's beautiful. And then um, another great book is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Love that book. <laughs> yeah. so, I, I, I'm I, looking for it on my I, shelf. I, 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 I see you. Yeah, I see you smiling too. So yeah, she's awesome. Uh, Recently awesome. read that book and it has been a life changer for me equally. When we talk about vulnerability, it's, it's a yes. must read. Yes. So those two are just like, I, I've meshed them together yeah. and it, it's just, I mean, it's funny because you if you don't talk about, you know, what we're talking about from a business context, this is just like how we should be treating each other as human beings. It's just, we, we should be treating each other with love and show empathy and, and actually care for each other. I mean, then you just slap on the business context, uh, context on top of it. You know, it really shouldn't change all that much. Obviously there's the hard skills of management and knowing how to uh, do marketing and sales and stuff like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's just, we have to treat each other better as human beings. That's all it well, is. Well, we're human beings and not human doers, right? So, you know, yes. those, those management skills, they, they, they're very important. We need them. And, and that's how we run business. And that's how we serve each other, right? But it's, it's like Brene says, uh, we need to remove our, our um, armor, right? We need yeah. to remove the shield and the armor so that we can, it's okay to be vulnerable. And, and, and I find typically men are afraid to do that. We, we cannot remove the, you know, the various layers of our masks. And so we, we, we find ourselves digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the deep caverns and, and putting layering mask upon mask and, and we are no longer who we are. And then we get into our workplaces and different personas. And when you look at Simon Sinek and I, I appreciated leaders eat last as well, this is where Simon formed who he was to become and the way that his interpretation of servant leadership and there there's there's an importance from sharing and learning and using these platforms to connect and and to learn because when you look at what's happening today in COVID and some of the things that we can learn from the the things that we've read as leaders and the things that we need to bring into our workplaces you know when, when Simon is talking about uh the organization where they had to lay people off right? And leaders uh, eat last, right? Um, you know, some people came up and said, well, you know, let me take two weeks unpaid holiday rather than lay off or furlough someone. I don't mind taking a pay cut, right? And I, th- this is something organizations have done today. I know that to get through COVID, if people didn't want to close down their offices or the, you know, virtual or, 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 or you know, physical offices, they needed to be innovative in how they could stay afloat, stay alive. And I know that a lot of people said I could take a hit, you know, if I have to take a, a, a pay cut or if I have to take two weeks off uh, so that you're not um, furloughing my, my colleague, let's do that, right? And I think that's the importance of, of going to, to go to books like this to help us learn and expand and, and put into practice. And as leaders, we have to role model and not role play. You know, like, I'll tell you, I wasn't happy when I had to take a pay cut. Uh, but, you know, I, I finally said, well, look, if, if this is how we keep my colleague, you know, afloat, then, then let's do it, right? So I think, yeah. you know, leadership is about really putting yourself out the first. And again, similar to what Simon was saying about the leaders eat last, 
it's making sure that other people have something on their plate first, right? right and leaders right. have to really role model that behavior. So, yeah. I, know, and so. I, would love, I would love to share a story with you real quick too. And, and it's Please. just funny because, um, so I actually worked under my dad. And so my dad, uh, he is, <laughs> have you ever read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight? Not yet. So anyways, my dad and, uh, my dad and Phil were, they knew of each other in the shoe world. They've been in the shoe business for that long. So my dad is, uh, I don't know if you've heard of East Bay. It's a, it's a company in the States. He's, he founded East Bay. He started that. He also made the first pair of running shoes for Brooks running. He also helped case Swiss. Uh, this is your father. This is my father and he's done wow. unbelievable things. And, um, and so it's just funny because I've learned from him and Simon's just put it into context for me. And so everything that he has done, I've never really thought about how that has impacted me until I started re reading Simon's stuff. And I was like, I read this by Simon. I'm like, oh, wow, my dad did that. Simon talked about this. Oh, wow, my dad did that. So talking about Leaders Eat Last, um, a great story that uh, my dad didn't tell me, but actually one of the, uh, one of the people that, that was under my dad told me the story. My dad has never told me the story. Um, so my dad was head of K-Swiss uh, uh, footwear division. So he was, uh, he was in Taiwan at the time and he was managing, I don't even know, thousands of people. And he, he, had, a, he had a very strong team under his belt of footwear developers. And it was uh, during a very difficult time uh, in, in, in the economy, uh, a lot of the people, they, they were struggling. They didn't have, you know, they, they had to feed their families. They had, anyway, stuff like that. And so my dad, during the times when they're paying out salaries, my dad actually gave them bonuses at his expense so then they can stay afloat and provide for their families. And, and so uh, one of the guys, his name is Mike. Um, he's worked with, anyways, he does amazing stuff in the football world right now. He's a great friend of mine. And he's, he just says, he always reminds me how grateful he was for what my dad did like 20 plus years ago. And that's something that he's never forgotten. And so that's the reason why he's actually paid that type of servant leadership forward to me and he's trained Mike trained me when I was learning footwear and so a lot of you know my dad was a, was a prime example of what of you know servant leadership and what you know caring and empathy type of leadership was and it was I just never put it together until I read Simon's stuff and then a lot of that was like I need to like I need to pay this forward this is the I I I was so fortunate to have a leader like my dad and he was just my dad, right? Like I didn't, I didn't put it together that he was just this amazing leader with what he was doing. And so now it's like, I, wow, it makes so much sense now. And now I have to pay this forward. And so this is a, a, a big part of my mission as well. And I just wanted to share that quick story with you. And I'm glad you did. I mean, that really puts into perspective how, whether it's in our parenting style or in our workplace style, um, the type of leader that we are, the leader that involves influences and, and inspires, you know, yes, we can read a great book to learn more about those leaders, but when we can look to people in our lives who have been those leaders, leaders who have been kind, like they give charity in, in secret, they don't need people to see them do it. Your dad gave that, you know, gave that act of kindness 20 years ago and you never heard about it. He didn't I've never, tell you. he never told me about it. Somebody but else did. Yeah. And that's the power of kindness. It's like charity, giving charity in the dark, right? You don't need people to say, look at that. He's so uh, benevolent, right? And, and, and that's kindness is something that, you know, will start to define how we behave. And when we're leaders who are leading with kindness, leading from the heart, we're going to be drawing certain people towards us. And that's what leadership is about. And again, this is why I believe in unfiltered leadership, leadership that is pure and leadership that is the essence of who we are as human beings, you know, mm -hmm. unfiltered, vulnerable, but strong, courageous, right? And this brings me kind of to the time of the podcast where I say to you, what is something that you could share with my listeners? So every week I share something called the unfiltered thought of the week. This is something that I tried to bring value to in the past with, with my listeners. And now I want, you know, my guests to actually share the unfiltered thought of the week. So what is one thing that you could share with, with our listeners today to help them become better versions of themselves or better leaders or better people, better humans? I think, I, I think there's three things uh, that I think that everyone can really embody. Uh, number one is never stop learning. 
never settle in terms of uh, knowledge and also just uh, getting to know people, connecting with people, never stop learning, never stop growing. Cause um, as soon as you stop your, your perspective, your creativity, your innovation, you know, your innovative thinking that also stops as well. So never stop learning from people, from books, uh, from podcasts, from videos, always, always have that hunger to just keep learning. Cause you'll be surprised of how much of a shift that will make for you that will just benefit not just you, but everyone else around you as well. And so that's number one. Number two is just being vulnerable and being open to being wrong. There's nothing wrong with being wrong because you don't know everything. I don't know everything. And that's where, you know, creating that safe place to really have discussions to, to not develop conflicts into devastating things. It's more, it's a, it's a productive conflict resolution to, to form new ideas, being able to break apart something that you've thought of for like the last five years and then boom, having one conversation and then you form something brand new that can help you, that can help the people around you. So being open to being wrong and don't be afraid of that. So that's number two. And then the last thing is surround yourself with the people that you want to become because you are the average wow. of them. Of, you are the average of the, the five closest people to you. So surround yourself with the people that you want to become. So be the leader that you wish that you had. So surround yourself that you want to be uh, with the people that uh, you know will benefit you and help you become a better person. Powerful. And I know you're a, you know, you're a young father with a young daughter. You're <laughs> starting out a, a wonderful career to serve other people. And you've had a great mentor in your life and great experiences and, and, and David, um, I could talk to you for another hour. I know we had a quick chat before this. I learned uh, that um, this is what it's all about. It's connecting with people and learning and expanding. As you say, never stop the learning. And to the point that you bring to the clients that you serve, we need in our workplaces, in our communities, in our homes to find the commonalities, the commonalities, whether they're differences in, in, in opinion or differences in generation, we find those commonalities and where we differ, we use our differences to build us up and help each other rise because together we're going to be stronger. And this is what we need today for new leadership. And this is sort of unfolded leadership that we need going forward. So you and I have just begun our journey together and our discussions. I look forward to continuing to chat and collaborate. I want to thank you today. And I want to tell you, stay blessed, stay unfiltered and um, all the best to you, my friend. Always, my friend. It's always absolute pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Thank you for listening to Unfiltered, the show about authentic leadership and personal growth. Like what you heard? Click subscribe, share it, and tell a friend about it. And don't forget to leave a rating.